0: the Best Life, Best Death podcast. And today I'll be talking with Day Schildkret. Day is an award-winning queer author. He's an artist, a ritualist, teacher, and is internationally known for morning altars, a practice in nature, art, and ritual. You can find out more about Day at morningaltars.com and also dayschildkret.com. That's D-A-Y-S-C-H-I-L-D-K-R-E-T. I think Day's got these two fantastic books, Morning Altar, Hello, Goodbye, and we're going to chat about ritual, why it matters, what it can do, and about the idea of threshold experiences in our lives and how ritual can support us through those times. So hi, Day.
1: Hey, hey there. Good to meet you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. Thank you. Um, As I said, you know, Day is the author of these beautiful books. And the most recent one is Hello, Goodbye, 75 Rituals for Times of Loss, Celebration, and Change. And I thought I would just start us off by reading this quote that I love from it. So Day writes, our orphaned culture is ritually bereft. We have far too few ways of remembering where we came from, who we belong to, how we got here, what we have, what was lost along the way, and in the face of that, what it all means. Mm-hmm. So yeah. tell us a little bit about, about you and how you started to work in this way and write these books and think so much about ritual and what it means.
1: Yeah, I'd say, <clears throat> I mean, there's so many ways to answer that question, but um, it's always started in some way with my grief. hmm that's really the, the starting place with it is my grief. And whether that's the death of my father or the, the very slow and fast decline of my mother or, um, you know, our ancestral grief, uh, I come from a Jewish culture and over the past four generations, we've lost so much. Um, or the grief of the, you know, that comes with our environment, um, the times that we live in. Um, the grief of isolation and disconnection from people we love, and the scattering of those people. So I'd say my life's mission has been to somehow take that grief and transform it into some kind of beauty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So my roots are as an artist. I used to work in the on Broadway in the theater. Um, no matter what part of my life, even when I was five years old, I was making art, and usually making art outside. Um, and so my mission has been to somehow mute, to metabolize that grief and not just be burdened with it and i'm in you know i'm in that stage right now in different aspects of my personal life you know there's grief here grief often is a sign of love you know we grieve for the things that we love and the grief yeah. when we grieve for the things that we've lost
0: yeah it's really it's the flip side right the deep love leads to deep loss eventually
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a grief illiteracy in the culture. Um, People don't know that they're grieving and so they call it other things and they have coping mechanisms and ways to suppress and avoid that. But if you're walking in your life carrying your grief more so as a skill than as a burden, that skill looks has to look a certain way to you. You know, what does it mean to be skillful with grief?
0: Mm, I love that. And in your case, it really, it came to mean, what does it mean to be creative? Or at least creativity was a way to move with and be with.
1: The skill is in the expression for me. It's not just expressing my grief through tears. It's expressing my grief through art. It's expressing my grief through writing. It's expressing my grief through teaching. So, but you know, it's never, it's, it never shows up in my writing, my art or my teachings as a burden on the reader, the student or the viewer. It always shows up as me expressing a broken heart and there's beauty in that. There's genuine sincere beauty in my broken heart. And as you say, it's a trans, it's
0: a transmutation. It's a transformation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is very risky. You know, it's not an easy thing to do. Look, you can look at art these days and you can see art that's completely disconnected from grief. We call it entertainment for the most part, and most right. of it is trash, you know, and then occasionally you can feel something that's coming from a broken hearted place. You want to hear a real quick story that has nothing to do yeah. with my work? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I just finished watching this series on Netflix called Heartstopper, and it's a story of, of basically of teenage love, crushes. Uh, Between two men between two boys there must be 14 or something 15 in the show and The creators of this and some of the actors they're not like it's a beautiful story but the people that I I watched some some reels of the director and the writers and They created this piece as a gift to the current queer youth Mm. that they could see themselves reflected in the media so that yeah. they can see their stories and their worries and their woes and their anxieties and their awkwardness reflected in the media. But the creators created it through their broken heart of not having received that in their teenage years. Right. So that's what I mean of like, and that's why you can feel the heart of this thing. It's, it's a broken heart, but it's beautiful. And that's what my work is. I, I'm an ally with everyone doing that work.
0: Yeah. I love the way you talk beautifully in, in, I don't know if this was exactly your first book, but first one, I'm aware of morning altars. Mm -hmm. There's this beautiful, you talk about the process of collecting things, making space to create something, putting them together in a pattern that's, that feels moving to you at the time. And then you talk about letting it go and walking away and not trying to hang on to it. And the the power and the impermanence of that is, is, transforming also
1: that practice started after my father's death and uh, basically a divorce and um this is a long story but i'm going to give you kind of the heart of the story right now <laughs> which is i found myself under a tree with my dog on a very hard day very hard morning because grief is by nature destabilizing it is if you have grief right now you know it can mess with your work your social life your home life just getting up in the morning. It's very disorienting. So I found myself, I had to walk the dog. So I found myself under a tree and I remembered this thing I used to do as a kid, which was to make art out of nature. And so I started to take these mushrooms and eucalyptus bark and caps and put them together temporarily into some semblance of order and symmetry. Why it felt so moving in retrospect was because the disordered in my life, I was actually creating some order with my hands. Mm, yeah. And I got to see that order reflected back to me that there was such a thing. I needed a reminder that there was such a thing as order. You know, right. it's an interesting thing, by the way, the word cosmos or even cosmetics means order. Aha. Uh-huh. So it's not random. That's what I made that morning.
0: If you're looking at the video of this, uh, here's the image. And if you're listening to the podcast, it's this beautiful kind of uh, square tipped on its corners with pieces of bark running through it. And these golden mushrooms surrounding a, it's kind of a four pointed um, mandala, I guess I'd call it. Mm-hmm. But there must've been something so powerful, as you said, in kind of finding order amidst the disorder in your life and mind and finding order in this simple, simple beauty and and out of disparate things.
1: That's Mm -hmm. why this practice and also my latest book, Hello Goodbye, stands on the shoulders of this practice. That's why this practice is so profound for people that are in memory care units, for people that are in prisons for people that are in marginalized communities, for people going through major life transitions like a divorce or a miscarriage. It, I, and I, you know, I do a teacher training. I have about a hundred students right now and they work in these fields. I have birth doulas and death doulas. I have art therapists, I have prison psychologists. They're telling me that they're bringing this practice to these places and the reasons why it's working, A, because it's simple right it's not overly complex b it is nature art and ritual very very old and very accessible things to humans but most importantly it's marking it's taking the many pieces and bringing them back together as one temporarily mm-hmm. and it's in seeing the oneness seeing that coming togetherness just bef- you made it you brought many pieces together it helps to give some sense of understanding and order to people whose lives are changing. Yeah. Whether huge yeah. change like incarceration or murder or, you know, kind of beautiful change like a birth or right. an empty nester or a retirement.
0: Right. And I love that about hello, goodbye. Um, maybe this is a moment to just share some of the the table of contents because I thought it was kind of neat. There's rituals for every day. There's rituals for the year, which is kind of very seasonal, rituals for letting go, everything from losing a tooth to leaving a job to moving from a home, rituals for new beginnings, rituals for loss, rituals for a crisis. And you described in the beginning, you talk about it being kind of like a cookbook. Do you want to say anything more about that metaphor?
1: Sure. You know, rituals are funny. Um, as modern people, it's a kind of a weird word for, uh, for a lot of us. And right. Um, you know, for the most part, uh, they're either reg- re- a, a re- relegated to the realm of religion. You know, religions, oh, like when people think ritual, they might think religion or they think of, let's say, indigenous practices. Um, you know, it's not a word that, because we live in a modern culture that doesn't really, we have routines. Right. But we don't right. have rituals. Yes. Really? Yes.
0: And they're two different things, although right. they can be mixed up by our minds, yeah.
1: Well, the routines I write in the book is basically, I, I love words. And so you could look at the word routine and you see the word route. That's the word. So routines are ways to get from point A to point B in its simplicity. Rituals have no destination in mind. What's they're the not, root
0: of ritual? What does ritual come to from? To count. To oh. count. Yeah.
1: And how I write about this in the book is that, you know, you can count like, kind of like the count from Sesame street <laughs> or you can count like a dancer or a musician counts.
0: Yeah.
1: And a, and a dancer counts one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one. And what they're doing is they're trying to stay in the music as the music changes. They're trying to stay in the music and they're trying to stay together with everyone else playing the same music. So yeah. the counting is a way to stay in what's changing Beautiful and not get thrown off of it So when people so when we do ritual because being human we're inevitably forgetting all the time We forget who we are. We forget where we are. We forget the relationships that we're in. We forget the purpose of our lives Especially when life changes You have a death in the family. It's mm. very easy to forget you know, it's very easy to go into a despair and to get lost from that confused Rituals help us, and this I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm paraphrasing Robin Wall Commemorer from her book, Sweet, Braiding Sweetgrasp, who I quote in my book. But basically, rituals and ceremonies are our ways to remember. To remember, I we need mechanisms in our daily, monthly, annually, personally, and collective lives that help us remember where we are. Because, as you know, in the last few years, have taught us, life is crazy.
0: Yeah, and it got and we, really crazy.
1: And we can, and we can really lose ourselves.
0: Yeah, I love. And a also, lot of people have. I love also when you talk about creating rituals. You've got this great um, quote from Michael Mead: "Rituals traditionally are made from what's at hand. They are partly remembered and partly made up on the spot." Yeah. And I love that as a way to think about, you know, cause I think you're right that a lot of people think the word ritual and they think, Oh, it's gotta be within a certain process or a certain or standard or something. Yeah. And yet there's, there's some basics that are there. Things like circles, things like using materials at hand, but then from that you can create your own recipe that you're making up in the moment for what you, needs to be called upon then.
1: Do you have that same page? The Michael? I do. Yeah. Well, can you read what I said right after that? Sure.
0: You say, to me, it doesn't seem so different from cooking. Maybe you have a recipe that's been passed down through the generations, like my mom's delicious Mandelbrot, or Mendelbread, bread, almond bread in German. Or maybe you experiment with the ingredients you already have in your kitchen to make something completely new. Cooking is a way to remember and experiment. When I make mandelbread bread these days, I use a recipe that my mother received from her mother, handed down through the generations from Eastern Europe, And before that, possibly Italy. But because I now live in California, I use California almonds. So the dessert becomes both the continuation of an ancestral food coming from another time and place and something else that fits my new circumstances. Rituals like recipes have uh an adaptive ability.
1: So just to finish that, they can be both traditional and reimagined, remembered and renewed, but rituals serve up another kind of nourishment a food for memory. We need them to remember where and who we came from, but we need them also to remember who and where we are now. And even though many cultures and religions have frozen and fenced in their rituals to preserve them from the very real threat of being lost or stolen through appropriation, assimilation or eradication, the basic function of crafting a ritual like crafting a meal, doesn't belong to any single people or person. Each one of us can and must learn how to cook up small ways to feed this greater remembering for that is how rituals adapt and evolve. Beautiful. I wanted to just finish that because it's yeah. really the the cry of it belongs to certain people and, and cultures and it doesn't. The function of being able to craft a ritual is very human. It doesn't belong to, you know, only this culture can do it. So yeah. I'm right, I've written this book because I'm interested in a ritual renaissance in the culture. I want us all to feel empowered that at times of need we can make our own rituals. For instance, there's a chapter in the book on losing a pet. No, I I come from a Jewish culture. I haven't heard any other culture have like a, a passed down ritual for losing a dog. So we have to, we have to create those, you know? And yeah.
0: why, 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 Day? Like, why for somebody who's listening to this who says, oh, ritual, that sounds like something old, like from the church, and I've rejected the church, or I am in a different church now, or I, that sounds very, you know, don't, like indigenous culture. Why do I need ritual?
1: Don't use the word ritual. Mm-hmm. That's my first. Th- oh, look, I'm an artist, so I'm all, always about reimagining and recreating. Don't use the word ritual. Let's use the word meaning.
0: So why do we, why do we need meaning? Why do you, why do you feel that it's important to remember, as you say, and create meaning?
1: Because there are certain moments, like I was talking about my, at the beginning with my father's death for six months, I, I barely was able to like get dressed and walk. The grief wrecked me, wrecked me. So I didn't understand how to reclaim my life, how to, to, to stand up in my day. I didn't understand how to keep the things that needed to be kept going. I needed to create understanding. I needed to create meaning. I needed to understand how that death carried meaning so that I could incorporate it into my life. So the practice, you know, this first book that you were reading from is creating morning altars or nature altars everyone I did for like I mean I've been doing them now for 11 years but everyone I did for like almost six months after my father's death was meaningful because I got a chance to remember my father every day so the meaning is very much connected to remembering remembering what's important remembering who's important and calling you know the 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 word re at the beginning of remember means to do it again why because we forget like if you've lost a loved one which probably many of you listening have then you know it's very easy to just carry on with life at a certain point and just like you occasionally think about them but not very often not as often as you did right after their death so we have to have mechanisms in our year in our Months and in our daily life, where we call forth, we remember again that which is important, that which is meaningful to us, so we don't lose them.
0: And I think the power too is in remembering, not just in a small context of my relationship with that person, but almost like this bigger context, whether it's either with nature or with other people or in relationship to a broader extended family and a ritual or a, um, a remembering that you do with a bigger group. There's something very powerful about that, because it takes us out of our own individual uh, experience of it and connects us to humanity at the biggest level.
1: Exactly. We, you know, as I've been saying, there's a lot in this. I, I stand on the shoulders of my own tradition uh, and my own culture. And, you know, it's a four plus thousand year old culture. So it's pretty, it's been around a while. And, um, and I grew up, Pretty religious. I chose that in my teenage years, and um, it's informed me especially around ritual. But as an artist, I'm recreating it all of the time. And in this book, I'm recreating certain rituals that I that I was gifted. But anyway, to speak to what you were saying about coming together as a as a community or as a as a group, um, we have a tradition, and this is how I end the introduction of my book. We have a tradition where every time we experience something new. That's the hello in the hello, goodbye. Mm -hmm. But I've also reimagined it for also every time we experience something for the last time to say this, to say these words, which the translation of these words are, you know, blessed are you, the spirit or God or the universe or whatever that is to you, Mm -hmm. um, who has granted us life, who has sustained us and who has brought us to reach this time, Mm -hmm. which basically means it wasn't guaranteed that you were going to get here.
0: Right, right. And meet this time of new hello, or meet this time of new goodbye.
1: Right. So basically, these the threshold moments of our lives are another opportunity for us to not take life for granted. To actually say, we made it here. It wasn't a guaranteed thing. I mean, this is like very countercultural to our modern society that's all about entitlement, right? And
0: productivity and busyness and getting there and very linear. Yeah. And I love that. Say a tiny bit more about what you mean by threshold moments.
1: I wrote a whole, you know, section of the book about this. Or yeah. about how deep do we want to go? Um, because you can play with the word threshold and we don't really use the word. I mean, most of us, I assume, don't actively thresh grain um so you know we don't have a lived experience although i encourage you to youtube a video about threshing grain it's really interesting because there's because everyone's sitting in a circle and everyone remember what i said the etymology of rit- ritual is yeah yeah everyone's creating a rhythm with the grain they're beating it to separate the wheat from the chef they're basically separating the inedible from the from the edible Right. And they're keeping the rhythm. So when we say threshold moments, it's not about passing through them. It's all about separation.
0: Mm, got it. Got it.
1: It's about just dis- it's about distinguishing. For instance, you retire. Right? Someone listening is probably going through this right now. You retire. The person that you are becoming is not the person that you were but for a lot of people i interviewed this one woman for hello goodbye she had been at her job for 30 years and she retired and for 2 years after her retirement she woke up every day at 5 a.m. with a panic attack because her psyche still thought she was working she couldn't be, she couldn't get out of it yeah she needed a ritual at that threshold to distinguish you were working and now you're retired or another one you were married and now you're divorced or another one you were a single you know a childless couple or a person and now you have a baby and there's a lot of identity shifting that happens in those threshold moments yeah. but if you just walk through the threshold there's no there's no guarantee that you're going to adapt to those new roles and identities ritual helps us to change when life changes
0: Hmm. Yes. I bet that's written down.
1: It is written down. Yeah. It's in the book. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you so much day. I I just think there's, there's a lot to unpack here, you know, because you can really, I loved both your books. I thought the writing was so lyrical and they're very accessible because they, especially morning altars is filled with these absolutely stunning photographs that are very easy to get lost in and also easy to think, ooh, you know, that's intriguing. I think I want to go see what's on the ground right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I appreciated all that you wove in about language and history and your observations as an artist and a person in in a complicated culture that doesn't really, um, we don't know how to come to terms, I think, with these threshold places. We we tend to think we want to put our identity on by, I don't know, by the age of 25 or something, and then just stick with it until, I don't know, our last breath or something. And we, we go through all these micro changes as people constantly, these threshold spaces. And I love this idea that there are ways to mark that that have to do with transformation and transmutation and integration, I think was a word you first used too. And I, I think that's really powerful. And we, we are missing that today.
1: There's, it's an interesting thing. I've never thought this on a podcast before, but I wrote a chapter in the book about changing names. Some a lot of people change their first names and their last names. I wrote two separate chapters on that. But um, I never really thought this thought. But we're really the modern culture is the only culture where we are expected to keep the same name throughout our lives. Indigenous cultures. Change their names when there's a passing through or climbing up because you you realize you're not the same person anymore and the community has to has to acknowledge that so that you can see that reflected in everyone else so naming is one way to change to help change the person it reminds them oh yeah i'm not the same person because i passed through that threshold and it's much harder for us because you know I'm day. And I'm, I've got the same name throughout my life. And it doesn't reflect the, the enormous highs and lows and passages and thresholds that I have passed through to make it to this moment.
0: Yeah. I think about another, I've got a friend and I love this. She one time said, well, you know, I have a tattoo for every big thing that's happened in my life, but you just can't see them. They're invisible tattoos. But she says, I know exactly where they are and I know exactly what they are. And they kind of, come to me at the moment of these changes in my life and you know i've got a you know a crab over here and a mandala over here and she just um kind of i loved it she kind of walked me through these invisible tattoos yeah so there are so many ways we can mark changes Mm -hmm. visible
1: and and invisible and visible i mean that's a lot of myself included i've marked my body and tattoos Mm -hmm. for very important moments i've passed through it's the same mechanism yeah it's marking
0: marking, counting. I love that.
1: Cairns, that C-A-I-R-N-S, building us a, a pile of rocks on a path when it turns. That's another way of understanding ritual.
0: Mm, yeah, I love that. Well, thanks, Day. Thanks yeah. for the conversation. And um, again, Day's books are Hello Goodbye, which I also loved, of course, that you had the little John Lennon quote at the front of that. <laughs> I'm going to break into song here. And Morning Altars. Please
1: break into song.
0: <laughs> We'd have to do a duet. Um, can you uh, tell us your website? Where can people find Our out more?
1: Morningaltars.com. A morning like this morning. a l t a r s com. Um Also, dayshulcret.com. D-A-Y-S-C-H-I-L-D-K-R-E-T. And, um, you know, right now, uh, and I'd say like, the other place you can find me is on Instagram or Facebook, and I post a lot of beauty um, and I post a lot of, you know, lately I'm doing a lot of writing um, to my newsletter and about, you know, the themes of transitions. So if you'd like to, you know, kind of read more spontaneous writing, not, you know, in books, my newsletter is a really good way to access me and what's on my mind.
0: Fabulous. Thanks, Day. I also have to say, since we talked the first time, um. I can't stop thinking of your name. I just think Schildkret is so beautiful. Am I saying it correctly? Mm -hmm. And you told me that that means turtle in -hmm. German. And I just keep thinking shield creature, shield creature. It's just such an exquisite description of what a turtle is.
1: Yeah, shielded creature. And, you know, there's, I really relate to that um, duality in my family, Uh, you know, and, in Hebrew we call it sabras which is referring to a cactus where it's like hard on the outside soft on the inside and I feel like that's very much turtle too which is mm. you know navigating the path with a really you know strong protective boundary but real slow and soft on in the inside beautiful yeah.
0: well thanks again You've been listening to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. And I'm Diane Hullett. You can find out more about my work at bestlifebestdeath.com. And thanks again to Dave Shieldcret.